Amen. Thank you, Diane. That's a wonderful lead into our final uh, sermon on this series of the songs in the Gospel of Luke, the Christmas songs. And uh, this is the fourth and final one. It's called the Nunc Dimittis. Okay, if you have your Bibles or if you'd like to look in your bulletin, please turn with me to uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And we'll read verses uh, 21 through 35. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. And when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said to them. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's pray. Father, we do ask your blessing upon this text. I would ask, Lord, that you would help me to expound it and to teach it accurately. And, Father, that you might apply its eternal truths to our soul. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to do that. So let us have ears to listen. And we ask that in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, as I said just a few minutes ago, this is the fourth and final sermon in a sermon series on the songs in the Gospel of Luke. The first one we looked at was Mary's Magnificat. And Magnificat is the Latin phrase, for my soul magnifies the Lord. Those were the first words of Mary's song. The next was Zechariah's song, and it was entitled the Benedictus, which is the Latin word for blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessing be upon God. The third was the song of the angels that they sang to the shepherds in the sky, which was the Gloria. And that was the words of glory to God in the highest. Today we have the fourth and final, after Jesus' birth, the Nunc Dimittis, where Simeon says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Well, before we get to Simeon's song, there's something we certainly need to take note of, because the Spirit of God records us. And today before us, we have one of the beautiful examples 
of what godly parenthood looks like. And we, I could not overlook this because it is great teaching for all of us who are parents or who are grandparents or who have the influence with those with young children. And it's good for us to look at because it teaches us clearly what God expects of parents and requires of those who he has given children to. And so regardless of whether you're single or married or you hope to be married or you have children or don't have children, this text is a great teaching tool for us because as you remember, God desires for parents, Christian parents, to have a godly seed. Well, what I want you to first notice is that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, made it an absolute priority to have their son circumcised on the eighth day. Now, why would that be significant? All of us know that Jews do that. That is a common practice, practice in the Jewish custom. But sometimes we forget the context that this was happening in. You see, this was Judea uh, at the... Uh, end of the before Christ years and the turn of the A.D. years, uh, things in Judea were not that good. There was a guy named Herod who ruled over uh, Israel. In fact, he was not even an Israelite. He was an Edomian. Sorry, excuse me. He was a half-blood, and Jews despised that. They were under Roman rule, under pagan rule. And, of course, we know the story of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who honored the law outwardly, yet inwardly their hearts were far from it. Yet Mary and Joseph said, God requires this. We are going to make sure we're going to do this. We are going to make sure we honor and keep God's commands. Well, some might say, well, of course they would do that. I mean, if you had angels sing at your boy's birth, and you heard the testimony of the shepherds, of course you would be motivated to do these things. And that is all well and true, and in fact, I would quite agree, I'm sure you would be motivated. But there again, there would be great pressure, probably you would feel, because here you are, the parents of God's son. I'm sure that you would not want to interrupt or disturb or do anything to detract from what God was wanting to do in that child's life. And even though that was true for Mary and Joseph, how much more true should that be for us if you are a parent and taking care of children? We should set the stage early on for their life to be God-honoring and to honor God in faith in raising a godly seed. So Mary and Joseph made it a priority to have baby Jesus circumcised. And why was this? Well, you remember the promise that God gave to Abraham, that God would be a a father to him, to he and his descendants, and that through Abraham's line, all the nations would be blessed. When they were circumcising baby Jesus, they were saying, God, we continue to trust that promise that you gave Abraham, that it will continue through this little boy, Jesus. It was a step of faith. It was a step of obedience. And Mary and Joseph did that. Now, on the other side of Christ's ministry, we know that the sign of circumcision has been replaced with the sign of baptism. No longer is it a sign of ethnic origins or ethnic uh, diversity. Now we have the sign of baptism. 
where that is given to show as a pledge to both parent and child that this child will one day follow in the steps of their parents, following God's calling on their life. You see, when when a child is marked with the waters of baptism, we are not saying that child is a believer. We're not saying that at all. In fact, that is a false teaching. What we are saying is that as Christian parents, we are asking God's blessing upon that child. That God would bless that child. And as that child sees later on down in life, other children being baptized or adults being marked with the waters of baptism, they would realize that they need to follow the faith of their parents. Because that sign, just as the sign of circumcision was given, it was a sign to teach. To say, you know what? If we follow God's ways, we will inherit His blessings. But if we do not follow God's ways, as this sign testifies, we will inherit God's cursings. That is what the sign of baptism and the sign of circumcision does for the child. It teaches them that. And it also teaches the parent that that sign is just as important to the child as it is to the parent. That they model before that child a godly example that they teach in their home the ways of Christ, and that they proclaim the gospel, and that they make following God's ways a priority in that house. That is what baptism teaches. But it's also one other thing. It's a seal. It's a wondrous seal, the Scriptures teach us. It's a seal in the sense that as you seal an envelope, or as in the olden days when they sealed a parchment with that stamp, It was to ensure the treasure. It was to ensure the contents that were held within. When you and I place our faith in Christ, that seal of baptism now comes into fruition. That pledge that is given to us, that promise that one day we will be Christ, we will be with Christ in heaven for all eternity. That is the sweet pledge that baptism gives us once it is accompanied by faith. Now, often I have heard in my office as parents come forth or I discuss with others, what good is it to baptize at a young age? I mean, surely the child doesn't remember it. In fact, we see here now before us that God commanded the Israelites to circumcise on the eighth day. And oftentimes folks say, what good is it? They don't remember. It's long since forgotten. It's past. How will they... How will it ever have an effect on that child? Well, I think it's important for us to realize that these are not man's directives, but these are God's directives. And God calls us to mark our children early on so that as they grow, and as my children, as Eliza, Jude, and Hope sit in the pew, if I'm not preaching and they see another pastor baptizing a child, I talk to them. "This This happened to you. And we marked you with the waters of baptism so that one day you will follow mommy and daddy's faith. That you will continue on in that line of following the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't, please realize that you will be outside of God's blessing. You will not get his goodness. In fact, you will get his chastening and his cursing. And we, Eliza, Jude, and Hope, don't want that to happen to you. In fact, what we want to happen to you is that you would receive all of God's blessings. And so therefore, we have marked you in such an early stage of your life that you would honor God and that you would continue the faith 
of your parents. You see, it's not so much what the child remembers as it is what God remembers. Because God remembers on at the early stages of that child's life that that child has been marked with the waters of baptism. And that frees, or that not necessarily frees, God will move regardless. But God works through that baptism to speak to our hearts. How many of us, probably we will not know until we get to heaven, how God used the waters of baptism in our life, how the Spirit of God moved. Not only through the Spirit of God, but through the prayers of the saints, that we would be transformed and become His children Mary and Joseph made it an absolute priority to have Jesus circumcised because they sought to fulfill God's laws. But they also did one other thing. Notice in our text too, they committed their child to the Lord. One of the things you've got to love about Mary and Joseph is they knew God's Word. <clears throat> they just didn't say, you know, it's just good enough that we just read them the Bible stories. Or perhaps they wanted to teach them the Shema, which is a very important thing in uh, Judaism, Deuteronomy chapter 6, that, that you shall teach the Word of God, you shall teach about God when you rise and when you lay down, on the road and when you go to sleep. Very important. But they also knew something else was very important. That in Judaism, it was a commitment that the first child was given to the Lord. And where did that originate? It originated in the Passover. Remember from the time of, of Moses during the Exodus? The last sign that was given to Pharaoh was that the angel of death would come over and if the doorposts were not marked with the blood of the Lamb, then the angel of death would strike down the firstborn, not only of the, the people, but all the firstborn of the livestock. And there was great grieving in the land. But the children of Israel were covered by the blood of the Lamb. So too, Mary and Joseph made it a priority that baby Jesus, their firstborn child, was committed, pledged to the Lord. And dear parents, this is a great teaching tool for all of us. Because as a young dad, no matter what season in life you are as a parent, we all have dreams for our children. Mine are just beginning with the three God has blessed me with. And for some of you, you've gotten to see them come into fruition. Some have wished perhaps they might change. But whatever our dreams are for our children, they must all come second to what God's plans are for those children. Each child that we get, we must realize it is a treasured gift from the Lord. And we are to entrust that child to the Lord and give that child to the Lord and whatever the Lord may call that child to do. That can often become a great challenge with parents as the child decides to go one way later in life outside of what the parents may desire. However, whatever it might be, our constant admonishment, our constant teaching to the children is son or daughter, you do what God calls you to do. And mommy and daddy will be ultimately be pleased and will be blessed because you have first and foremost honored him. Well, one last thing I want you to notice about Mary and Joseph and their dedication to Jesus and their circumcision to Jesus is they made sure Jesus was a part of God's covenant community. They did not keep Jesus isolated. They didn't say we can do worship on our own, in our own home, the way we want to do it. 
No, they said where we need to be, where this boy needs to be, is in the covenant community. He needs to be around other believers. This is an importance and this is a priority. And we are going to make sure as his parents that this child is in that area. Now, sometimes I have folks in my office who say, I don't want to tell my child which faith they should believe in. I want to leave it up to them and let that child decide whichever way they want to go. Now, that might be a good idea if you're choosing sporting good, sport teams, unless you're following the LSU Tigers. Because I teach my boy who we pull for, and that's the LSU Tigers. But that's minimal compared to what is an ultimate priority. And that is that we do not abandon our children just to choose whomever God they might serve. No, it is the parent's job to teach that child the ways of the Lord. Christ's education happens first in the home above all other places. And I would encourage you, churches, I know many of you are doing those things. I have great confidence that you all are doing those things. But I want to encourage you to extend that message outside the walls of this church. Because as many people as I've already had in my office at Davis Monton Air Force Base tell me, well, I'm going to let my child just grow up however they may please. And they can choose however they may want to worship the Lord or worship any God they so choose. That is foolishness. Absolute foolishness. I mean, would you let your child just walk haphazardly out into ongoing danger? That is what that parent is communicating. And as we of the church just say, hey, please, no, why don't your child come with us to VBS? Or why don't you bring you and your child to our church? Or you know what, we can watch your child while you're in church, and we can teach your child God's ways. That is where we as the church must have eyes of evangelism to look for opportunity to grab these young souls and to teach them the ways of the Lord, even though their parents may miss it. We want them to know the ways of God because that is where salvation is at. The Bible tells us, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And so the converse is equally as true. Good company changes bad character. And it is when we bring children into the house of the Lord, that character can be changed. The Spirit of God is at work in this place. And that is where it infects souls with the gospel. That is our duty to invite these children in. Because as Jesus said, do not hinder them. Bring them to me. Christ wants these children and he wants us. Well, this was an important setup for what was about ready to come. Because Mary and Joseph did not realize that great blessing would come to them as they did all these things that God called. They just did them. They didn't do them with the expectancy that, oh, God's going to bless me now, now that I've done these things. No, they just did them because it was, they were called to. They were called to be obedient. And notice what happens. They run into this guy named Simeon. Well, many of us are familiar with the timeless text in the book of Isaiah about the suffering servant. It's in Isaiah chapter 52 and all of chapter 53. And in that text, we're told about Jesus. 
many years before that he would be wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Many years before we were told this. But if you look at Simeon and you look at those nice little cross references that are in our Bible, for some reason they point back to Isaiah 52 as well. And there's a reason for that because right before this great section on the suffering servant, Isaiah tells us about somebody else that will be around when Christ comes. And he says this, The voice of your watchmen, they lifted up their voice, they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. These watchmen see the Lord's return to Zion. Isaiah tells us, that at the time of the Messiah's return, there will be a group of people, watchmen, who are commissioned by the Lord to look out and to foresee that the Lord is approaching Zion. And today before us, we have that man. That man's name is Simeon. Well, what are his credentials? Well, please notice, this man is not a priest. He is not laity. In fact, he's just a layman. The only things we're told about Simeon is that he was righteous and devout. In other words, he was committed to the kingdom of God. He was there on Sunday mornings for worship. He was there at the prayer meetings. He was there doing the work of the church. He was a devout man and he was righteous. His character was holy. He loved the Lord from the inside and out. He was a faithful man of God. And notice what his hope was. In spite of all the things that were happening in Jerusalem at that time, being under pagan rule, being under the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who only were concerned about making up laws where they seemed righteous, look at his hope. His hope was for the consolation of Israel. When Simeon went to bed at night, he was praying, God, please send your Messiah. We need him now, Lord. And in the morning when he rose, he looked with eyes of faith, hoping that one day he might see that consolation. And as Simeon walked with God and as he honored God as a a simple layman out in the pews, God blessed this man. And notice the first blessing. Our scripture says the Spirit of the Lord resided on that man. Don't miss that. The Spirit of the Lord resided on Simeon. And we often take that for granted because in the New Testament times we know the Holy Spirit resides on us. And yes, the Spirit of God moved in the Old Testament times and moved on certain people, but it was very specialized in many ways. But during this transition, we are told of how the Spirit of the Lord resided on Simeon. This lone man. And the Spirit, verse 26, tells us, testified to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. What a treasure was given to Simeon. You're not going to die until you see the consolation, the one you've been hoping for for all these years to come. You're not going to die. Now, of course, that did not mean that Simeon had a, a bulletproof uh, vest all around him where he could just you know, jump off the roof or whatever it might be. But it was just a simple promise that neither illness or or a sword would kill this man until he saw 
the Lord's Christ, the consolation of Israel. Now, as we think of that, that was a great comfort for Simeon. That each day he had to look out in faith that one day he might see. Now, it was a, a stretch, even though the Spirit had told them, each day he had to believe. Lord, you're going to be true to your word. I'm going to believe this testimony that you're giving me. And I'm sure some days probably Simeon wrestled with that, even though he was told by the Spirit of God. But I think Simeon's example should comfort us. You know, uh, men and women, I I watch the news just like everybody else. And whether it's Bill O'Reilly, whether uh, it's CNN or MSN, whatever it might be, We see today's news, and often we are overwhelmed and distressed at all the turmoil that is happening out in the world. In fact, we can be quite overwhelmed by it and quite driven to despair. But you know, that same promise that was given to Simeon is given to us. You know, Simeon was told that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's, uh, the consolation of Israel. We are told by Christ that one day he will return. And all these things he will set in order. All these things he will do right and he will judge the nations. That is a great comfort to us. It's a great comfort when we're done wrong or when we face great challenges in our family or amongst our friends or whether there's illness or stress or whatever it might be. One day with Christ, all things will be made right, and He will be with us. Remember what Jesus said? I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, as we have just gone through the celebration of His rival on earth, Let us continue to hope in His return. Let us continue to believe and trust in Him through the peace that resides in our hearts that we know that one day the Christ is coming back and He will come back for His children. Well, unlike uh, earlier songs, Simeon takes us one step further than all the other songs. In fact, his gratitude tells us more about Christ's ministry than all the other uh, songs. So much so that it, 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 Mary and Joseph marvel. And what was it that Simeon told that the other folks, that Mary and Zechariah and the angels did not uh, let us know? Well, two things. And the first was that Jesus will be the light for the Gentiles. And for the Jews, he will be their glory. Why is that significant? Well, expanded God's message of salvation. It was now no longer just for the Jews, just for the Israelites. Now God's salvation expanded to all people. This Christ child who Mary held and who uh, Joseph looked at was not only the future Messiah for Israel, This was the future Messiah for the whole world. And as they held that child and looked at that child, they realized the scope of His ministry was much greater than ever they had imagined. 
In fact, he was going to be light where the darkness was so deep. And not only that, he was going to be the glory of Israel. You see, remember the promise we had talked about earlier? Through Abraham's seed, all the nations would be blessed. Now, being an Israelite, they could rejoice in the fact that the final glory, the greatest glory, had now arrived, and that was the Christ. It was in this seed, the seed of Eve, that would crush the serpent's head, that they could have hope, that they could rejoice in God's blessing to Israel. Well, as the watchman finished his song, He talked about God's salvation, not only to Israel, but to the entire world. But he did have one last thing to say, and it was directed solely towards Mary. He specifically turned and talked to her about the way of the Christ. And notice what he said. Simeon told Mary to mark it well. In other words, he said, Mary, don't forget this. That her child would cause the rising and the falling of many in Israel. In other words, as one commentator noted, a person's relation or attitude towards Jesus would absolutely be decisive of his or her eternal destiny. Some would reject him, and others would, by sovereign grace, accept him. The former would fall and be excluded from his kingdom, but those who rose would be welcomed into his glorious kingdom. You know, those words continue to be true some 2,000 years later. And if you sit here today, let it be known to you that unless you repent of your evil ways and turn in faith to Christ, you will be excluded from his heavenly abode. It is just that simple. We are called by God, no matter what season of life we are, if we're a child of God, to examine our ways. The Apostle John tells us that no one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. And John is not saying a true believer will completely stop sinning altogether. But if you and I are a true believer in Christ, we will be marked in our life by repentance, by conviction of sin, by the desire to confess our sins and be right with God. That, are, that is the marks of a true believer. You see, what the child of God wants is to please his father, just like our children want to please their parents. So too, dear friends, we need to make sure we are in God's favor. We are being in Christ. We may be tempted to think we can fool, fool others, and sometimes we can, but we can never fool Christ. He will know what's going on. And lastly, Simeon says to Mary, he says these words to her, even though all these great things have happened, he says one last thing to her, a sword will pierce her soul as well. Now, I don't know what Mary felt at that time, but I'm sure that probably came as a startling word to her as someone who had heard such great testimonies, even proclaimed such great testimonies about the Christ child. But I believe Simeon's words many years later would be a great comfort to Mary. You see, many years later, Mary would one day see her son of hers who had done great work for the Lord, who had healed many and called many to repentance, who had taught people the ways of God and renewed hope to the nation of Israel, 
who later would come to believe that he was the eternal God. Even though she recognized these things, there would be some that would not. In fact, even the leaders of her nation, the great priests of God, would not. And they would unjustly accuse her boy, her son, of crimes he did not commit. And their evil would not stop with accusations, but it would only end in his death. You know, I wonder as Mary gazed at Jesus as he was nailed on the crucifix, perhaps she might be comforted by Simeon's warning that many years ago God told her a sword would pierce her soul. And these things that are happening are part of God's plan, even though they seem so chaotic. But the comforting thing to note is Simeon did not see everything, did he? He did not see that from the cross her son would say to John to take care of Mary. This is your mother. And mother, behold, your son. She would not be abandoned without an heir to take care of her. And also, she would not know at that point what she would see that Easter morning when she went in great tears to take care of her boy, to make sure he was taken care of and given a proper burial, she would see a couple of angels saying, He's not here. He has risen. That is how God comforted Mary. And God gave her the words, the hope of eternal life. Well, our four songs of Christ's birth in the Gospels point to the redemption of mankind. We've seen now four of them. Mary's song, we saw her faith, didn't we? We saw her belief in the Christ child, that God had fulfilled His promises to His people. And then we saw in Zechariah's song, the song of redemption, the song of forgiveness. God had forgiven him, even though God had disciplined him greatly. And the result, he could not help but praise God of what God had done. And that he rejoiced that his son, his boy, would prepare the way of the Lord and God people to the path of peace. Last week we saw the angels' song and how they couldn't help but adore the Lord and His love of what He had done for them and what He had done for His creation. And lastly, we have seen now the song of Simeon. We see the peace of God given to not only to this great saint, but given to all of us that we would follow Him. These songs have taught us what the Christmas spirit is and what we are to treasure as we celebrate the greatest gift given to mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these songs and we thank you for your many blessings that you have given to us. We thank you for how uh, you blessed Simeon. And Lord, no matter what season of life we are, Lord, help us to be faithful to the end like Simeon was. And when that time comes, help you, your servant to depart in peace. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.